Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, I know I say this a lot about being excited uh, about the person I'm about to talk to, but my excitement never ends. It's it's just real, real fun talking with everybody across the country about their operations. And uh, this uh, evening, I don't think we're going to have any disappointments. I'm really excited to uh, introduce everyone to John Tamlin. And uh, John's with Tamlin Family Farms, and that is in, I hope this pr- I pronounced this correctly, Mantino, Mantino, Illinois. How do you pronounce that, John? Mantino, that's correct. Mantino, Mantino Illinois. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, okay, so um, Mantino, Illinois, I was looking at that on a map. Um, that doesn't look like that's very far from Chicago, is it? No, we're roughly 45 miles south of Chicago, so... Um, it's a nice uh, flat black dirt, and it's a nice farming area, um, but yet we're close to the city. So excellent. So forty good opportunity. So forty-five miles is that about a six-hour drive then? <laughs> well, yeah, depends when you leave. Right. Exactly, exactly. You could do it in forty minutes, or you could do it in five hours. Yep. Well, okay. Well, let's um, let's do this. If if you don't mind, uh, give us a um, give us an overview about your farm and your operation there. All right, we're here in Mantino, and we're we raise uh, non-GMO outdoor hogs, farrow to finish, and we raise Katahdin sheep, and we're on uh, 25 acres, um, and we make non-GMO feed here as well. Yeah, that uh, wow, there's there's a lot there. So making the non-GMO feed. So uh, explain that a little bit. So when you say you're making it, to to what degree you're making it? Just for your own. Animals consumption, or are we talking large production mill here? Well, it's not large production, but it is production for our animals and for others. Um, we moved back to the farm. I went to school in agriculture and work in agriculture and moved back here to the farm oh, probably about eight years ago. And the local big box ag stores, um, the feed just wasn't of, of good quality. So that started our quest to, to use the old crib here and the old grain bins and just start putting together our and making our own feed. And um, we found the organic route was a little too expensive for, for us and for other some other producers. So we went with the non-GMO route and everything's grown locally here. Um, and, and we actually have an extruder, so we make our own soybean meal uh, without hexane solvents or anything like that. It just uses the extrusion process to heat and cook the meal. And then we have farmers grow non-GMO corn and oats um, for our other ingredients, uh, alfalfa meal and such. So we make it uh, start to finish here for ourselves, and we are licensed, so we, we're in four states right now and here at, for our own stock. Hmm. Okay. So uh, just so I understand uh, better, is how, how would you track production levels? Is that the tonnage per year? Do you, do you have, is that a metric that you all use to measure? Yes, and we're yeah, our tonnage per year would be extremely, extremely small. We we make feed right now for about maybe two dozen other uh, small scale out uh, non GMO outdoor uh, pig and poultry producers, you know, mostly here in our area. We really haven't like launched up. This has just kind of been a, a labor of love that's been growing as we've been putting you know the roller mill together and the extruder and 
everything's been been rebuilt and we're kind of just really getting ready to expand interesting so when it comes time so you're you're acquiring some of your you're not growing everything yourself of course so you're acquiring from from local farmers um how did those relationships get started how did you reach out are they all were they already growing non-gmo or did you convince them to switch uh, there, it seems like a lot of farmers, you know, grow up, most of their farm is conventional, uh, but there's a non-GMO elevator not too far away, and they always want to try, you know, farmers want to try new things or, or old things again, I guess, uh, with the non-GMO corn, but um, they they are, are usually already growing some non-GMO corn, so um, I grew up around here, so I know most of them, so I just kind of make an introduction and, and see if we can, can work together. Excellent. All right. Well, let's um, let's talk about your uh, your hogs. Uh, what breed are you raising? What what's what's your what's your take on the specific breed? Is is there a certain mix you found that you uh, appreciate? Well, there, there is. We started with uh, just a pure large black uh, because it's a docile pig and has a big litter size, and and we, we just I just found them interesting. Um, and then what we found out with our farmers market customers and stuff. And with, with raising them, they just kind of grew too slow and they were a little too fatty for our, oh, I guess you'd say suburban customer because the large black pig was, a, was you know, really designed as a lard pig. Um, so what we did then is we crossed the large black pig with the Berkshire, which, again, for, if you're doing a Chicago farmer's market, you know, people may have heard of the Berkshire. Um, as far as an outdoor pasture pig. And what we found there is it improved our meat quality a whole lot, um, but the litter size was still kind of small. So um, then we think we finally got it figured out here in the last 18 months or so is we got a Duroc boar. So then our, our sows and gilts are large black crossed with the Berkshire, and then we breed that to a Duroc boar. So um, we've got a very durable, rugged pig. Yeah, so what's what kind of litter sizes are you seeing now? Oh, we can get 10 or 12 pigs. Hmm, very good. So any, usually 6 to 10. Yeah, so how many um how many sows are you breeding on uh on yearly usually? Right now we've got 20 about 22 20 20 20 23 sows. Okay. And uh, all serviced by one boar? Do you have multiple boars there? We have uh we have three boars. We got a smaller young Young uh, Duroc Cross, we've got a Berkshire, and we've got a Duroc. Okay. So you mentioned you, you all were fair to finish. So are, are you selling most of those to uh, individual customers, uh, holes and halves? Are you doing cuts? Are you wholesaling? We have found everything that, that to sell for, um, like I mentioned, you know, we are our location here, 45 minutes from Chicago, uh, and in our, we're kind of in a bedroom community where people do commute back and forth to the city. And there's not a lot of um, production livestock. You know, there's still a whole lot of corn and beans and a lot of farmland. But the people don't really know and they're not real interested in what to do with the pig's feet or the, the pork shank scares them. So we have found that everything we, we have a um, we go to a federal inspected slaughterhouse and everything is packaged and cryovacked in a clear um, see through package. So. You know, I'm a pretty good salesman, but it's hard for me to sell through that white paper at the farmer's market. Right. So um, when I lay my bacon down there or our bacon from our outdoor hogs, you know, I really got something to sell off of there with that clear package. So we sell everything as an as individual cuts um, and they buy what they want and it doesn't take up their freezer space. And, and um, 
and that's just how how it works for us. I know it's different in different parts of the country, but um, and then as we've grown, um, we have too too many pigs for the farmers markets, and we hooked up with a company called Nyman Ranch, which is a network of um, they work with independent outdoor hog farmers, and then so we sell live hogs to them as well. Okay, and and man, I think we could spend uh, we could spend an entire podcast just talking about uh, working with Nyman and the, the pros and cons of that. So just uh, just kind of an overview. You're with Nyman. You are selling them live hogs, and, and I assume you have a specific goal that you have to meet as far as uh, weight and and the number of hogs, all that. All of the above. They've got actual um, field reps, uh, field service reps that cover. Our, there's one uh, here that covers Illinois, and, and she was here yesterday, actually a young grad from Iowa State University in animal science, and, and she raises uh, hogs at her home farm down near Peoria. Um, and she was out for her farm visit yesterday. They come out uh, three to four times a year and look everything over. We're um, CARE certified, so everything's humane, and, and we have the certification. All their growers do, and they help us with that. And um, she goes over our numbers and, and our estimates and and then, um, and then when we sell, they, they'll pay off of a, uh, I guess you'd call it a matrix, but they'll pay us, you know, uh, actually over our market, our, our target goal. If the, if the yield and the, um, the weight and the fat and everything on our hogs meets the criteria. So it's really, they've really got a good settlement, uh, system. They've been around 20 years already. So, um, they've kind of got it figured out. This is only our, this will be our third season working with them. So that's really helped us to, to grow and to have a network of resources. I mean, they have a vet on staff, so we're able to, to make a call at any time free of charge. So really? it's really been a win-win. Wow. Yeah. That uh, free vet would come in handy for sure. So, um, so let's look at that then. So if, um, are, are you finding that the majority of the hogs that you're producing, are you preparing those for Nyman and, and, and then secondary is your individual cut sales or is it 50, 50? How, how are you balancing that out? It, it is right now. It's probably 80% for Nyman right now. Um, I do have a regular non-farm or a, um, agricultural day job. I sell ag fertilizer, uh, but I'm uh, blessed to get to work from the farm here. So I'm around here quite a bit. Um, that, and then we try to work on our, um, Oh, our facilities. I guess you'd call it a facilities upgrade I've been doing the last 18 months. So we've done a, a few less of the farmer's markets and um, our packing house is about an hour and a half away. So that's three hours round trip, you know, to take them down and then to go back and get them. Um, so we've done a little less of the retail and now we're just getting ready. I just went to the locker plant yesterday and dropped off some more because we're, we've got our facilities where we want them for the most part. And now we'll be able to do some more farmers markets and retail direct to customers. Okay. All right. Well, um, so with, wow, <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> Where to begin? Um, okay. Um, one thing I had in my notes here that you, you've said a couple times here, and I'm going to have to, to ask you about it to, to explain. You've mentioned multiple times you use the term uh, outdoor hogs. Is, is there a differentiation between an outdoor hog and a pasture? Is that something that you guys coin? Is that something that Nyman says, hey, this is what we want to call this? And is there a difference? Well, I don't really know that there's a difference. Maybe that's just me saying it. Um, a lot of Nyman growers, we don't just because we don't have any hoop buildings. But a lot of Nyman growers will go in and grow in a hoop building um, because they're oh, in, a, in a colder climate. Um, 
you know, and I think that, and then there's a, an outdoor area off of that hoop building where the pigs, where the hogs go. Um, and that's usually more for the finishing, um, you know, but I guess maybe I wouldn't call that one a pastured pig because he's more of an outdoor pig, if that makes sense. Mm. And, and so in that situation, you say you guys aren't, you're aren't under, under a, a hoop house or anything like that. You're, you're actually out on pasture or how do you. Correct. Know? Ours is. Ours are out on pasture, and then like our gestating sows are out, and then our um, our gilts that are coming up are out, and then um, but when then then when they farrow, they're out, um, and then like some of our finishing pigs uh, are in some some bigger bigger pens um, that we rotate. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a good. So does does Nyman dictate uh, since you're farrow to, to finish? Does Nyman dictate uh, this is how you need to farrow? Uh, we expect this bunch of farrowing huts to be this size. Uh, how far do they get involved with the um, the day to day process? Uh, not really very involved. As long they they um, work with that care or the humane certified organization that everything meets humane standards as far as the pen size, the farrowing pens and stuff. But we don't have a central farrowing house, and we have individual huts and, and, and stuff. And as long as those meet the, the size requirements, Nyman, Nyman really doesn't care. Um, and if I chose to just do large black pigs, um, they really wouldn't care about that, but it would only hurt me because they, wouldn't, they would be too fatty. You know what I mean? So I have to they make, you, they make you be a better hog farmer by wanting to improve your genetics and your, your you know, rate of gain, et cetera. Okay. Well, yeah, I've, I've definitely with these line of questions kind of gone down uh, further down the, the line here. If we could, let's back up a little bit. So uh, you've talked about you, you grew up in the area you're in. Uh, you, you have a day job selling ag fertilizer. So it sounds to me like you've, you've kind of been uh, in, entrenched in uh, agriculture since day one. Um, how much experience do you have with raising pigs? Have you done this all your life? Uh, is this new uh, venture for you? It's, it is a relatively new venture. I've always had livestock. I guess I had chickens since, since kindergarten. Um, and I had some feeder pigs when I was in high school for, for 4-H and FFA. Uh, but then that's been 30 years now. Um, and we started when we came back to the farm. We started with the katad and sheep. Um, and those were basically just lawn, a hardy lawnmower. And we really liked those. Um, but, you know, show the lamb that you will have one to two lambs a year. Um versus a pig will farrow twice and you get, you know, six to 10 pigs per litter if you, if you do it right. And, um, we found that the demand for pork was, was much larger than the demand for lamb. So we still got some sheep, um, and we've raised turkeys and chickens and, uh, all those things over the years. And we still keep a few so I can try out our non-GMO feed right here on our own, you know, pasture chickens, et cetera. Um, but I, so I, I love livestock, you know, which is, which is fun. And I like being outside. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, wow. so let's, let's talk about the, um, the feed experience, come back around that track again. And this is, this is like a Michener novel. We're going all over the place, stream of consciousness here with questions. But, um, if, so, so starting your own feed mill, um, where's your, where did you get your experience? Was it just, uh, just jumping in head first and, and coming up with all these um, uh, these mixes and blends. Did you you professionally trained? I assume there's there's quite a bit that goes into that to making sure you're formulating the right feed. Well, I guess there is, and and again through my I've always been in ag in, in ag sales and, and production. I 
worked at a grain elevator and I work at a fertilizer dealer plant. Um, and I've always liked livestock and, and my grandpa had a dairy here at the farm when I was a kid. So I was always around the feed and everything. Um, but I really got most of my feed knowledge. My wife says if all the books next to my side of the bed tipped over, I'd be crushed. But I've got all the old books from the 1940s, 50s, like basically 1940 through the early 80s, you know, before the there was distiller dried grains and, and you know other roughage byproducts when they used the whole the whole kernel. So that's how I, we've developed all of our recipes, if you will. We make about 16 different feeds right now. Um, but and, but we use the whole kernel of corn. You know, we're not using the distiller's grain after they've made ethanol, and, and we don't use the um, soybean meal after they've removed all the oil for for cooking oil. You know, we use the whole the whole bean like they used to. And and these types of livestock, the older school breeds, I you know I have found, I guess it's my experience, is that they do better on that. So uh, that's kind of how I, we've picked up how to how to make the feed, and then we send it off. There's laboratories where you can have it tested, so that my bag tag actually, you know, what's in the bag is what's on the tag. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. I, I'm sure there's probably some. Uh, I figure you probably run into some debate over uh, the size of your grind. I was looking on your website here, looking at your pig finisher picture. And uh, that seems like a pretty coarse grind there. Do you, do you hear people, do you get any pushback about uh, digestion and absorption on that larger grind? Or is that, does that ever come up? That's, that's a very, very fitting topic because the, the Nyman rep was here yesterday and she got a, she was all happy. She got a new kit that, that checks your micron size or your, your, of the fineness of your grind. And I actually listened to her from when she was out here three or four months ago and, and we're, um, all the way to eight or 900 microns, which, so it's really a lot finer, I guess, than what you saw in that picture. Okay. And what they've determined doing their studies is that you get a lot better absorption and, and the, the pigs don't separate out. You know, they really like that soybean meal, the extruded soybean meal. So if you have your corn particle too big, they'll just make a big mess and, and eat up all the soybean meal. So, yeah. so we have adjusted that grind size from what you saw in that picture. Okay. So, th- so that's good. So there's, so there uh, Nyman has given you feedback. They're obviously using their resources to say, Hey, here's where you can tweak to get better production, better results so that, it, you know, you can go in and change your screen size to do all the things you need to do to uh, meet their recommendations. Correct. Okay. Um, and so while we're on the subject of this, looking at, uh, looking at the website here. So, um, and again, this, this is my ignorance because, uh, as we talked uh, before we started recording, uh, the, my source for, for, uh, feed for my pigs is very limited. We have just a, a large commercial feed mill. So I, you know, when I want hog feed, I, I get what they got pretty much. So when I look at my tag, it has a very long list of ingredients that, um, you know, you, you need to have a phonetic dictionary to be able to pronounce most of them. Um, but when we look at your pig finisher here on your website, uh, what ingredients are we talking about here? Uh, you're talking about the whole kernel of corn ground to the to the mic, proper micron size, like you're saying. And then um, I'm opening up a tag here, but it's, you know, then it's the full fat, uh, non-GMO extruded soybean meal. And conventional soybean meal in the feed that you're feeding um, has the oil removed. So it's approximately 2% fat. Whereas when you leave it all in, when we use extrusion, it's up to 18%. So there's just, and the fat is a calorie. So it's just tremendous, uh, the results you see on those pigs when they're eating that full fat extruded meal. 
So does that tra- then, does that translate over to percentage of protein when you're talking about fats and fat and calorie? When we're saying a twelve percent hog finish, are, are are you saying that this is a higher percentage of of protein per se? Uh, our protein is a little higher. Yeah, we run a, a probably a more of a fourteen on the when we do the complete finisher. Okay. Um, fourteen, or and then when they're a little bit smaller, we'll have it all the way up to a sixteen percent. Um, but yeah, our ingredients we've got cracked corn. Full fat extruded meal, non-GMO alfalfa meal, uh, the kelp meal is a is a big one for your trace minerals and, and it's natural. You know, and they don't they won't use kelp meal in your conventional uh, ration because of the cost. You know, and we we're not we're going for quality, not for cost. So, um, and then we add the calcium and and the limestone in the form of limestone, um, salt, and um, vitamin supplements if needed. So that's the only ingredients in our pig feed. Yeah, that's excellent. That sounds great. That uh, <laughs> makes me wish I was a bit closer. I like the price too. If, if the, I'm gonna put you on the spot there because I know you're talking about updating some of your websites. I won't put you on the spot there on the air to say what you charge for all that. <laughs> but no, uh, but but our goal, but that's a good point though. But we the the whole point of of doing it is is you know I can raise a, a lot of pastured chickens or I can raise more pastured pigs or whatever. But I but I, I like spending time at the feed mill because I'll get other young growers that'll come by and, and they'll actually be able to afford to, to raise five hundred pasture broilers on a nice fresh non GMO ration versus, you know, having to go organic or having to get something that may be a little bit out of date from the from the big box ag store that's basically roughly the same price as ours. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, looking at and again, I, I won't nail you down on numbers, but looking at the the pricing on your website, you're you're only twenty percent more than what I'm paying for conventional feed for your non-GMO and much cleaner ingredients. So yeah, to me that that would be very enticing if I was in your neck of the woods. Well, good. That's our goal, and and we are working with you know the the ag fertilizer in my J job is actually um, we bag it in fifty pound bags for lawn and garden. So I've actually got. A lot of experience with the LTL shipping, where they'll ship just a few pallets affordably. So, uh, I really do want to be able to expand it to other growers that that appreciate the quality and freshness of a of a local feed. So, you mentioned you were you were licensed in uh, was it four states, I believe. Yep, or? I think it's uh, Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa right now. So is that a uh, a very big ordeal saying uh, okay I want to start pushing feed into this uh, into this state is that a big ordeal to go through for licensing or is that uh, fairly it's really simple? not you just uh, start talk to the, the the state like it would you know in your case it'd be the West Virginia Department of Ag is where I would make the first call and they would direct us and guide us everybody's been very helpful with with getting set up in these various states very good. Uh, so, what are your plans going forward? Is it um, is is your existing setup is it very scalable? So, is this something you can say, hey, we're we're looking to produce two hundred percent more next year, or is it a you know a ten percent or twenty percent increase next year? Yeah, it could easily be a two hundred percent increase because um, everything was set up, um, you know, like the extruder can can run twenty four hours a day, and the, the mill is a capacity that can really get some volume done. So I'm just running in a, in a few hours a week for our own livestock and then a few more hours a week for our existing customers. So there's plenty of time and, and um, a bit capability and, and size to, to make more bags. Hmm. Well, 
Now, I assume, and again, I, I think this is something we'll have to have you back on for another podcast to uh, to, to really dive deep into this, because uh, I'm, I'm I realize I'm really geeking out on this quite a bit. But um, do you find with with having your mill and, and having the access to the uh, ingredients that you do, do, do you do you kind of go mad scientist at time and go over here and kind of okay, let's try this mix, let's because you mentioned trying some stuff on your chickens. Do 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 you do you venture out much with that? Well, it's kind of neat. We got a lady that raises uh, white-tailed deer, and um, they weren't they weren't um, oh the con- their condition their coat wasn't sleek and shiny like like you might see you probably see quite a few <laughs> deer where you are yeah um, around here they're kind of an oddity you know because it's kind of flat and, and not a lot of trees and mm-hmm. such here um, but she has them as a, as pets and such and she found we um, I I found a made up a ration. And, and we found that with that, again, that much higher fat, you know, there's nine times more fat in that uh, soybean meal that, that her deer just look as sleek as could be. So I think that's kind of the most far out recipe we have right now is, is the deer blend. Um, and then we have like a multi-purpose of, that a lady uses for her alpaca, and she's got really good results with that. And that's, um, you know, the other thing in there is whole oats. Whole oats are important for, for your starting pig, starter pigs and for your um, chickens and your hens to prevent feather picking and such. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of oats grown around here. And again, your fit, your big feed mill wouldn't want to put oats in there because it's another product and they're expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. Yeah. So you know, looking, you, you've got quite a few blends that, that you've come up with for, for multiple needs, obviously multiple species. Um, it looks like you, you could, you could probably even spread that out more if you wanted to grow in, in increasing your blends and, and custom mixes. One thing I had recommended, and it just time and energy hasn't allowed for it yet, or or the need because we're making our own feed to feed our pigs. But they say you know you can break that finishing ration down into four or five different stages if you want to change it. So you know we could make more of a starter ration and then a a finishing ration and a sow ration. So, so there's, there's a whole lot of lens a guy could make you. And like you said, to go, to go mad scientist and really do it. So, um, I really enjoy it, I guess is why most why I do it. Excellent. Well, and that kind of segues into, uh, I think you touched on this a little bit, but, um, let's take this question head on. So what does a, what does a typical farm day look like for you? You talked about uh, you've got a day job. The day job allows you to be on the farm quite a bit. So well, what's a day in a life for John? Well, I start. we do a morning check of chores and everything and make sure everybody's got water and, and doing okay and see if we had any new litters over the night, uh, which is one of the things I really like about the, the pastured outdoor, you know, farrowing and such is, is it, they're really unaided, you know, in a, in a conventional system, you, you've got to be there when, when she's farrowing and to get better results. But, um, so then after morning chores, I'll do my emails and phone, phone calls and such, and then, uh, head out to the mill and work on what needs to be worked on and, and fill the orders. So, um, it's a lot of fun being able to go outside every day. That's kind of the, one of the main things that I like about, uh, just farming and livestock farming in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even in the dead of winter, it's still nice to be outside. I'd rather be outside than sitting at a desk. But that's for sure. Well, okay. Um, so when um, when you're when you're finished, when when your hogs are ready to go to Nyman or, or they're ready to come pick them up, um, how does that get orchestrated? I assume you guys schedule well in advance. They send in, uh, one truck, multiple trucks. Um, how does that work out? Yeah. One nice thing about that is you know they'll pick up as little as twenty head on the farm, so the 
the truck will run out from uh, from Iowa and and make a, a route to pick up. And I think he ends up with probably 140, 150 pigs on the truck. Um, and he'll he'll stop by here, and and they're they're super courteous and knowledgeable, and and, and they know their route is that if he's gonna be here at three o'clock. You know, he's here by three o five. And what we do then is we have um, loaded the hogs in the night before or that morning in our bumper pull trailer, and they pull into so the so the semi pulls into the farm, and we set our um, homemade loading ramp up to his back into his truck, and we back our um, bumper pull trailer up to the other end of it and we can run them out of there real quick and and there's no you know you always worry about going from farm to farm but he never actually comes up into our farm we yeah. that down on the road so okay. there's no everybody else's germs are at their house man that was that was the very next question on the tip of my tongue i was gonna say well what about biosecurity john okay so yeah so that's great so you you've you've obviously been thinking about that and and uh and you kind of keep him at arm's length when it's time to actually do the transfer Yes, uh, you know, and I'll admit that, that we learned that, though, after after he helped us one time. And then my wife kind of mentioned, you know, that he had tromped through his, you know, if, if he helped the last guy load over and he was in Indiana or whatever, then, you know, you've got the Indiana germs now here on your farm. So um, we kind of made some modifications and, and, and they're very helpful about it and stuff. So, so yeah, now the, the, the driver stays in, in his truck and, and we do all the lake work on the ground and give him a wave and away he goes. Yeah. That, uh, well, that's good that they work with you on that. And again, the, every, you know, everybody's in that situation, both sides have everything to lose and nobody has anything to gain. So working together, uh, to, to give everyone that peace of mind that biosecurity is taken care of is, is, is good. Well, um, as far as your, uh, uh, pasture setups go are, are you doing a rotational process you said you had 25 acres do you find there uh we'll see where you are in northern illinois you've got a you've got a pretty good rotation of, of four seasons so do you do you have a rotation schedule with your pigs do you have a sacrificial area in the winter we do have a sacrificial area in the winter that that probably should get rotated out of more often than it does um and we do have you know worms so everybody gets wormed um, and we do get their vaccinations um, so that we keep our litter size up um, because we are only on 25 acres and half of that is in, I guess you call it a permanent pasture because this time of year it'll get three feet of water on it for a couple of days. And the, the pasture's fine, but you don't want to be fair on pigs out in that. So Yeah, I think everything has three feet of water on it right now. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um so going forward, I, I, again, I think we've touched on this a little bit. What um, what plans do you see? Do you have a five year plan when it comes to uh, your feed operation, the size of your your hog production? Are you are you looking at growth in all those areas? Are you looking at maybe venturing to, and into some new areas that don't necessarily even associate with pigs at that point? I, I really like the the feed and the pigs. So I kind of focus. We've given up, like I say, most of our poultry. Um, and we cut back on our on our sheep. We've only got maybe 17 ewes, and we had 45, um, just so that we could focus more on on getting the facilities up and running. Where if somebody uh, needed a couple tons of feed, we could easily make that. Or if um, we did some more farmers market stuff, you know, I'm I'm able to have some nice farrowing huts um, where we can where we can get a few more pigs out of each litter. So we're kind of kind of trying to focus. I really have a tendency and maybe that's just farming in general but i have a tendency to get distracted yeah that's easy to do (laughs) 
my wife uh, could could definitely attest to that that i am yeah. uh, so so to answer your question though we have about 22 sows now and i'd like three groups of 12 so yeah. i'm gonna have 36 is, is what my uh my, my plan would be as far as with our and i think i have the infrastructure now to do that um where there's you know the gestation groups there's there's three groups of 12 mm-hmm. and i can work that through our 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 facilities now i see so the the purpose of the groups is that for uh, uh farrowing scheduling throughout the year is that for uh limiting genetics and, and kind of keeping uh keeping different uh, uh breeding results in those groups really mostly just for the scheduling it, for for us and it would it'll they'll they'll It'll get uh, more refined, I guess, as time goes. Is my plan, um, but right now, if I've got the right now, I got the twenty-two in two groups, you know, eleven and eleven, and then um, I'll add some more. I'll keep back a few gilts, and I'm going to try to get in a few more to, to to upgrade our genetics a little bit. We've had the best luck upgrading our genetics through the boar, you know, because he's half of your he's half of your herd. So we got a, a purebred boar actually Duroc boar from Iowa State University uh last spring and that's really that really made a filled in one of the missing pieces of our genetics puzzle as far as our meat quality and and growth and litter size yeah how's he as far as temperament goes the Durocs I've raised sometimes can be a little persnickety well it's kind of funny he his name is hothead and that's the actual <laughs> pedigreed name on his paper and um if we had, a, I could get a picture of it to you. It'd be worth it because he's like a big dog now. He's probably 650 pounds, and he's like a puppy dog. But you know, he had lived in a crate. You know, he had shoulders, sores on his shoulders from being in that small crate. You know, being a being basically a confinement pig. But yeah. um, so he's not. His, his name is Hothead, but he doesn't live up to it. He's he's like a big like a big dog. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that, yep. that definitely uh, puts your mind at ease on a lot of things. With uh, especially, yep. especially when they get that size. All right. Well, um, one question I always uh, I like to ask all of our uh, podcast uh, uh, interviews is, what is your best experience or your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? My favorite part would be being outside, uh, followed up closely by when we're up at a farmer's market in Chicago and you're there the next week and the lady comes back and she says that that was just the best pork steak or she'd never even had a pork steak. And, and then, you know, my wife was a city, is a city girl and she'd never had a pork steak and that's her favorite cut of meat. She'd put that above a, a filet mignon any day. So, yeah. so I really like providing that healthy pork to, I guess, to our family and to our customers. So I like mm-hmm. being outside and I like growing healthy pork. Very good. Well, um, John, as as far as uh, people being able to to reach out and, and uh, communicate with you to to visit uh, your website to see uh, information about your feed mill and, and your 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 products there, uh, where can people find you? We're on TamblinFamilyFarm.com uh, and Tamblin Family Farm on Facebook. So uh, reach out there and, and um, email us as well. Okay. And so what I understand, again, with, with feed ordering, if, if any of our listeners are within those four states, then uh, could they call and possibly order from you? Oh, you bet. And don't be limited by the states. It's just we don't have customers in other states yet. I'd be, you know, I truly would be happy to ship you a load of pal- a pallet load of feed to West Virginia. So, um, yeah, don't be limited um, just by those four states because um, it's relatively easy to get set up and get going and uh, we want to go through independent little small farms and, you know, if there's a way they can 
add some lots of people work a full day job and, and and try to get their hobby farm or their homestead up and going um and if they could distribute our feed and make some extra money along the way we're we're happy to help them do that okay i see so so to make sure that we're clear on this so that people are listening even if you're not licensed in those four states uh, you're saying that hey inquire uh, give us give us a call and uh, we can get that paperwork taken care of pretty quickly if if you indeed want to order that is correct okay great so uh so everyone listening there if you're outside of those uh, four states that John talked about uh, give him a call if you'd like to order some feed from him um, and get that process started uh, then you guys can uh, can possibly connect there with his uh, feed source and Troy I will say too there's a there's a guest house here on our farm that if anybody wants to to come see the operation or to come see the feed mill or or has other questions um we recently had some guests come and stay through our extension agent. Uh, they were interested, in, and they spent the better part of a day here looking around and asking questions. So um, I do like to help other people be able to learn about pasture pigs. Excellent. So uh, so what we're saying, if everyone heard that, that's free room and board at Tamlin Family Farm. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we won't. Uh, we'll make sure people don't take advantage of that. No, that's great. And um, I, I, man, I appreciate your willingness to allow people to stay on farm, to look, to learn. I think that's what's really going to move uh, um, our industry forward and get everybody on board with uh, with all the benefits of, of pastured pork is when we share all our ideas. And obviously, that's kind of the purpose of why we're doing this podcast is just to get people talking about uh, what we consider, what I consider a superior process on raising hogs that sounds great i just i really enjoyed visiting with you all right well uh we appreciate your time and uh i hope you have a great evening take care thank you we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the pastured pig podcast to learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes visit redtoolhouse.com